Hi, this is Bill Weiss. I'm here with Nikki Shaver and Jerome Plink today. And, and I'm excited about this discussion because the two of you have uh, uh, just have done a tremendous number of things in, in legal and legal technology. Uh, welcome. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. So I, I'd love to get uh, a little bit of history of, of how you ended up working together and, and why you're doing what you're uh, doing now. You want to start, Nikki? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Yurin. Um, So actually, Yurin and I have known each other through the industry for a number of years. We were on a couple of panels together, but we started working together uh, last year or so um, when we connected and realized that both of us had a very aligned vision for where we could take Legal Tech Hub. And Legal Tech Hub is a platform that was launched publicly initially in October 2020. Um, it came out of a problem that I saw in the job I had at the time, I was um, looking after innovation and knowledge management at Paul Hastings and found that I frequently had to do searches for solutions in the market. Um, an example is we had a need for a digital translation tool. We needed to know what was available and no one really had an idea. Google is a really imperfect place to go and make those searches. So, um, we thought, well, why not? And when I talk about we at that stage, I'm talking about myself and my partner, who is also in, in marketing for legal tech, actually. Um, we decided that we would build a platform that made it easy to perform that kind of search and really pulled all of the solutions in the market that were geared towards legal together in one place to make it easy for people to search across them. So we launched, um, we launched Legal Tech Hub with that purpose in mind in October, 2020. And then Yurin and I started talking last year and decided together that we would develop it further into something that had a more commercial business model and was more content focused. And early this year, both of us went full-time into Legal Tech Hub, which is exciting and which is where we find ourselves now. Well, congrats, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and I come at it from a, from a slightly different angle, but uh, we're solving, solving a different problem. So I have been selling stuff to law firms and in-house legal departments for the better part of uh, the last 20, 22 years. Uh, it's been a while. Um, um, where 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 Nikki um, in her in her time experience finds it hard to to find the relevant software applications, I find it hard to be found. Uh, so when we were selling, um, you know, practical law was slightly different because it was um, it, it was very. Very, uh, it was quite unique that when you're selling, uh, with even within practical, we were selling document automation uh, software and, and services, and that's a very crowded market. So, how do you stand out as a seller? Um, who do you approach? How do you speak to the right people within uh, within the law firm without alienating the the CIO uh, because you're talking to a a partner and you're selling the partner and all of a sudden instead of making a, a sale to the entire firm you annoy as a vendor you annoy the central purchasing uh, powers that be uh, 
that's the I think that's the hard uh, that's the hard part to overcome. Yeah, both sides are a, are a challenge, and, and coming from from your side of the equation, uh, Jerome, it, it uh, kind of makes me jealous of what you have done, Nikki, because it it seemed to me like it would always be like this ideal job to be head of innovation for a major law firm and and be able to tackle the problems that that uh, that that includes. So, what 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 was what was that like? Working in innovation in a law firm is great. I mean, I've done it now for about 10 years. Um, and it's, it is, it's fascinating because you're working with the lawyers, you're working um, to really identify use cases and opportunities to leverage technology or to improve processes internally. Things, of course, move necessarily slowly because the work of doing innovation as a, in a firm is not just about applying technology. It's really about understanding what are the problems or pain points being experienced by the lawyers and then delving deeply into those to understand what would actually make a difference. What's, what are the needs of the lawyers in relation to that problem and scoping out requirements and, and only then looking at your existing technology to see whether you could cobble together existing solutions in a way that might provide a solution, whether it might be improved processes that would make a significant difference or whether indeed you have to go out to market. And then the procurement process, once you reach that stage in the equation is quite significant and protracted. So um, by necessity, things move reasonably slowly but it is exciting when things come together and you get to see things make a difference especially when there are low hanging fruit projects that really you can see make a tangible difference to the way that lawyers work. Um, but I must say, it's also really exciting being on the outside of that in the industry at large and doing in a way similar work, but for multiple people on the buyer's side. So law firms and corporate legal and trying to make a difference in the way that procurement is run in those organizations um, is something that I'm really excited about as a new challenge. But was there anything... Uh... From your time at Paul Hastings that you were particularly proud of and in, in terms of the impact you were able to make? Yeah, I mean, interestingly, one of the things was, and this is not about bringing in technology, it was about educating our lawyers. So I was really proud of the strategy that I was able to implement with a team which was very much focused around adoption. From my perspective, you have to go in with an adoption first strategy. And in order to generate adoption, you need to educate lawyers on why it's necessary to think about working in new ways, why it's important to be open to doing things in new ways. So um, I developed a team, an entire program for incoming summer associates on legal technology, but also the changing forces in the legal industry that were making it necessary for lawyers to work in new ways, um, what that looked like at different firms, what our clients were asking for, what the regulatory environment is like, and then going through and actually talking to them about when people say AI in, in law, it's not magic. This is what it actually does. These are some realistic use cases. This is what the firm has. This is how we use it. This is how you could use it. Here's how it's applicable to you. That was really successful. Um, and, and then we expanded that to fall associates and so on as well. And so I think those kinds of educational campaigns, and there were many other aspects to it, including newsletters across the firm and so on, really saw a difference in 
the culture of the firm and the openness of the firm to adopt new new technologies, jump on board with pilots, get involved in what we were doing. So from the first year I was there to the last year I was there, the momentum really increased substantially. And we really saw a lot of change in just the attitude of the lawyers towards, towards what we were doing in our initiative. So that I think overall is probably my, my proudest achievement there. Yeah, none, none of it really matters if we don't get the attorneys to use it. Right. Okay. So, Jerome, you, you created something that um, that really did drive a ton of usage and had pretty significant change in the market with, with practical law and this. Uh, so to talk, talk a little bit more uh, about that. I was I was at Thompson at the time when when that uh, decision was was made and there was, uh, you know, really strong strategy behind it. So how, how, how did that all come together? Uh, so practical law, uh, so I sold a business to a practical law in, in the early 2000s. Uh, I developed uh, together with a partner and we developed a, a tool for legal due diligence. Um, and that was terrific time or a terrific, um, terrific idea, terrible timing. Uh, and so we ended up having to sell it to practical law who saved us. And I was there in, in, in England for a while and I saw the profound impact uh, practical law had on, on lawyers and having practiced in the US for for a while um, in uh, in the late 90s I, I knew that the situation in the US was actually not as good as uh, as it was in in England where, where the habit of, of law firms was to employ PSLs professional support lawyers to actually develop useful resources and that was the premise of, of practical law so we went here in, in or came in, in the us in 07 um with a fairly new and unique concept um, and the plan was for us to stay here three to four years um, and then uh, move back and we're here 15 years later uh, but that was a tremendous journey we started in a, a small office on madison and 42nd and within three years after launch we were in 80 percent of the mlo 200 um, and, and in many hundreds of other firms and uh, a few thousand in-house legal departments and i think they were we we sort of solved from a from a different perspective but we solved the educational problem that we're trying to solve with uh, with legal tech hub is is so often you had the as an associate without practical law you had the deer in the headlight moment when you're confronted with the problem and and practical law could solve that now back to uh, um, uh, uh, to, to Legal Tech Hub, uh, where what we're finding out here is people are, are very much the deer in that, like when it comes to technology. Uh, I just spent uh, a couple of days in Vegas at, uh, at Clock, and, 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 and people sort of know that they need to um, move on to the, uh, the technology and digital transformation bandwagon. But there's so many people that don't know where to start. Um, and it's sort of, yeah, we have to do CLM, but what does it really mean? And how do the different providers um, um, 
differ and uh, why should I choose Serion Labs over Agilov over Lexion? Uh, I think that's a that's a very difficult question and, and, and people really don't know where to start and there is no resource that that, that helps them uh, and we aim to beat that uh, that resource and i think that's a fantastic opportunity and in many ways it reminds me of the of the fun years at, at practical us yeah, that, that was an amazing amazing bit of collaboration in the magic circle firms to to combine the psls that, that then turned into practical law it's not it's not something I think you see enough of in, in legal. That, that was uh, an incredible example. So with, with what you're doing um, today, how, how do you put more depth into that in order to, to help firms make those choices? So we are uh, we're launching uh, Legal Tech Hub in, in two phases. Uh, so phase one is is the current directory, um, where uh, with the combination of uh, some smart filtering, people can actually narrow down uh, to a short list of, um, of 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 vendors that meet that criteria. I need a document automation system that supports English and French because I'm based in Canada. Um, that is, um, it's a cloud application and it integrates with iManage. Um, that'll whittle down your options to a relatively manageable uh, set of So that's step one. Step two is, where we become uh, much more like, uh, or much more insights and analysis company. And um, uh, we're working with experts on each of the areas that we aim to tackle. And let's take, let's take CLM as, a, as an example. Uh, we're building out a, with one expert, um, uh, we're building out a, a complete repository of resources that help the buyer get up to speed on uh, on CLM. What's the landscape? What's the technology? Where? Uh, what's what's what is the life cycle for for contract lifecycle management? What are the different steps? What are the components? Who are all the all the players that serve this particular area? What are evaluation criteria? Um, what's a standard RFP that you need to send out to your uh, to your vendors that you've shortlisted? Um, um, how do you go about adoption? So it's it, it by making available resources like that, we aim to educate the market um, and help the vendors um, showcase their solutions. So, sorry, oh, sorry. Nikki, go ahead. Um, uh, to add to what Yarun said, I mean, it's interesting, Bill, you, you talked about the beginnings, the early beginnings of practical law in the UK and collective knowledge from the PSLs. And the way that we are building out this content for Legal Tech Hub is very similar in the sense that we're drawing upon experts in the market who have very deep knowledge of the various categories of legal technology. So for CLM, it's the person who has probably the, the most to the best experience actually 
leveraging CLM and, and implementing it for legal departments, for document management, someone who's very deeply knowledgeable about document management systems and the way that they can be deployed both for law firms and for corporate legal. And the idea is, again, we have this collective knowledge in the industry and we don't do a fantastic job of actually sharing those resources. And this is a platform that will allow us to draw upon those resources and that expertise broadly and make it available for people as they're going through the procurement process. I really love the, the point about integration because it, to me, that's one of the biggest challenges for firms to really leverage the technology investments that they have made. Uh, stitching all those pieces together, it's really hard to get the adoption if you don't, if you don't have really good integration. And so just starting off the bat with, let's, let's look at things that integrate with the major pieces we already have, because it doesn't work with the core technology we have, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. That's right. Uh, yeah. What, uh, what do you see changing given the pandemic hybrid operations in terms of, of legal tech procure, procurement? Certainly during the pandemic, um, I, I mean, I was working within a firm when the pandemic hit and was very much aware of the situation for firms across the world where, and of course, corporate departments too, everyone suddenly had to find a new way of working remotely, completely remotely. Um, and th the impact of that was, as has been reported in many places, a very significant take up of technology more so than naturally occurred before, very specific types of technology. So tech that allowed for broader collaboration across teams while they were remote. But also interestingly, there was a huge need for knowledge management and the organization of documents and content. Um, and then technology that supported the findability of that content because whereas before the pandemic, people could walk next door and say, you know, do you have an example of this? Or can you tell me about this? All of that sort of natural knowledge sharing ceased and we needed to put in place mechanisms for that to happen remotely. And I think that also drove um, various technologies. And then of course, from a trial perspective, we saw the need for technology that supported remote depositions, ultimately when the courts reopened um, remote trials. Um, so I, I think that it, it had an impact on the adoption of technology, but I think the key is, are we going to see that as something that's sustained? And I'm curious actually, Yarun, as to your view on whether you see this as something that has increased the speed of procurement or adoption of technology for the long-term or whether that was very temporal to the pandemic. Um... Uh, thanks for putting me on the spot. <laughs> uh, I need, to, need to think about that well for a second. Uh, um, I, th I think there, there, there are some things that um, happened at breakneck speed. Um, uh, I think it was because many firms had years of technical debt to uh, to overcome, uh, which is. Um, uh, it was kind of disappointing, uh, but I think that technical debt for a large part has, has now been uh, fixed. I'm not sure whether it has a, um, whether it's going to 
be a long-term um, um, increase of pace of uh, uh, procurement of legal tech. I think we still have to have the have quite a few burdens uh, to overcome as buyers. Um, it's the you need to make sure that any technology solution that you buy in uh, meets your security standards, meet, 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 meets your other procurement standards. And I think um, it was slightly different during the pandemic. Um, but there was no choice, and so maybe corners were cut. I think that'll resurface. I think the other limiting factor on uh, on the pace at which firms buy uh, software is the mere uh, the mere fact that as a firm you continue to be restrained by the the number of projects that you can handle at any point in time. Um, um, However great a, an external solution is, uh, if you're working on implementing your new cloud-based document management system, you don't simply don't have the capacity to uh, buy in and implement and roll out um, a, a second big application. So I think there always will be constraints. I think there is a need for for greater investment, and I'm hopeful that firms will now start to having fixed some of the technical debt will continue to invest uh, heavily in technology because i think that is the future and uh, i think the the new competitors in the legal space will uh, will leapfrog uh, firms and i think the battlefield where they will leapfrog the best uh, is technology I'm, I'm pretty optimistic on that front and it's really for for two reasons. One is that you had a lot more exposure for more senior attorneys and firms to technology. And as a general statement, that was a positive experience. It, it enabled firms to go remote. It kept them uh, yeah. operating. Firms have had the, the most uh, profitable two years of operations in the entire history of the legal industry. Proves that the approach works. So I think you have more buy-in from, from senior leadership and you also have the next generation of attorneys who frankly won't do it any other way. They want direct access to the tools. They don't want somebody else doing it for them. You put those two things together, you get an increased demand and, and that, that, that creates a, a longer term trend. It's interesting though, yeah. Bill, I am also optimistic. I think Yarun is as well. But that last point about junior associates coming in you would think that, but that's actually not the way it plays out yet. Certainly we have not yet seen an incoming year of associates who want to do things through the technology from the get-go, who want to be the ones in control of more complex technology and use it to do their work as a matter of course. And in fact, some of the incoming associates can be the more difficult people from a change perspective than associates or junior partners or partners who've been at it for a long time. I mean, I think part of the reason for that, for example, is these are people who have worked with technology in every part of their lives from the day they were born, but they're used to technology like iPhones, where you pick it up and you don't really have to learn how to use it. You swipe left, you, you know, click on a screen and it does what you want it to do. I think in, in a lot of instances, the technology we're using in law firms does not yet have that level of 
um, intuitiveness built into it. Um, and it does require some time and they're not used to taking the time to learn a new way of doing things, especially at the point in their lives where they're suddenly under tremendous pressure to bill hours and they're required to meet budget requirements. So it's just interesting because you would expect that the younger lawyers would be the ones who are on board and the more senior lawyers are those that are resistant. But in practice, it's much of a muchness. You find some juniors who are keen and some seniors who are keen. Um, I, I just, I always found that interesting. That's fascinating, actually, because uh, so this is where I have a more positive, and I think your view is more valid because you have more recent experience. But uh, I would think that so having come outside of a from outside of a law firm and spending two years in a law firm, the the one thing I was most frustrated with was the technology that um, law firms expect uh, juniors to, or and not not only juniors but everyone in the organization to work with. Um, is so much more limited than what you're used to in normal businesses between the quotation marks um, or in college. I mean, having having worked in, in, in Google Docs and in the Google Suite for a while, I, I found it really frustrating to be forced into, uh, into, into Microsoft Word without the ability to collaborate. So I think many people who come from law school are, are used to working in, in collaborative tools like like uh, docs and all of a sudden they can no longer work with it. And, and it's the more frustrating because clients actually um, are working in a completely different environment than, um, than the environment that the, the law firms work in. So, I think there, there, there's reason to be optimistic and reason to be uh, to be pessimistic. Um, uh, we should actually write something about that. We should, we should. And, and to be clear, I'm not pessimistic at all, but I just think no, no, no. There, are, there are different hurdles than people might expect. And I, I, I think what you say is completely valid as well. And I, I mean, I remember, for example, people coming in and being shocked that they couldn't use something like an Asana or Monday.com or Google, and instead we're being encouraged, for example, to use Jira on legal project management or, you know, I mean, sometimes the tools that firms make available for junior associates, it, 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 they perhaps do themselves a disservice in getting people up and running in the technology by not thinking about things enough from the user perspective. Yeah, yeah the, it's such a great point because I think Legal tech has not uh, has not fulfilled its mission. The, the the gap between where it should be, what's what's possible, and where it's at is just is just huge. I, I don't think it's unreasonable at all for that associate to expect consumer level user experiences. That's just not what you get. And and the reason I talk about integration so much is because I think that's a a, a core issue behind that. You have to have a great user experience on the front end, but if the pieces aren't tied together, you just can't get there. And you know, if one, one additional aspect to that bill is design. And I remember in a, in a previous firm being super impressed when we leveraged a third-party designer at the very beginning of a project to make sure that from a user perspective, this technology was going to be usable. And we created a skin on top of the legal tech to make it more user-friendly. And it worked phenomenally well. It was enterprise search we achieved a 100% level of adoption, which is virtually unheard of 
with legal tech, but that was because we leveraged third-party designers who really thought about the user perspective. And I, I don't think law firms do that. They don't see that as necessarily a valuable investment, but if they want adoption in technology, I think design is a key aspect of it. Yeah, I think it's a competitive advantage in legal tech now. It, it used to be purely the feature list, but actually delivering the experience. I mean, it's, it's why I have a dedicated design team for exactly this reason. It's a, it's a really interesting comparison between smaller firms and large law, because this is an area where small firms really have a, a big advantage because they have uh, SaaS-driven products with more modern user interfaces that cover the whole firm. And, and so if you're an associate that goes from a small firm to a large firm, you, you tend to have a bit of a shock. Interesting, uh, to say that. yeah, I, I completely see where you're coming from. Um, and I haven't actually looked at it from that uh, perspective. Um, uh, my, my perception always was big firm has have bigger funds to invest in it. So they must be ahead of the, the game, but they're also less flexible. So um, one very large firm that I'm fairly familiar with is still working on its matter management system that was built 22 years ago on a, a now unsupported version of Oracle. And it's running the entire business of the firm on a very legacy uh, system. And whereas if you're in a smaller firm, it's easier to change your 20 users to a more modern uh, system as opposed to that uh, 2000 plus lawyer law firm um, that's still working on, uh, on a very old system. And, and they're more amenable to the cloud, I think, more often as well, to Bill's point, yeah. whereas I think a lot of law firms, large firms are still very reluctantly, gradually moving towards cloud, but not yet acceptive of it in, in many circumstances. Do you think it's the firms or is it uh, the clients who are? Uh, I don't think back? it's the clients at all. I think if, if firms, and I, I know this from a, a few firms that have done this work, if you do the, the work of digging into clients and really understanding what clients have an active prohibition against the firm working in the cloud, it's a, it's a handful or fewer. And I've also heard stories of those few clients um, having been brought into a room, for example. Um, this is not my personal story. So perhaps it is, um, you know, a, an, an industry story, but being brought into a room with um, IT professionals who were able to explain to them in depth why the cloud was safer and more secure than firm on-prem infrastructure and all of the clients walked away, not just happy for the firm to move to the cloud, but quite insistent that they did move to it. So I feel as though there may be a few clients that think they're resistant, but once conversations happen, I think most firms these days could really get there, especially in light of the fact that so much technology is moving to the cloud in a way where firms that are on-prem will be behind innovations that happen in the tech or will find themselves with technology that is gradually being sunset, um, having to make very difficult choices too late in the game and potentially falling behind. Yeah. It's still very much in the transition, but, but I see a lot more openness to the cloud and, and large law now. 
And, and I think yeah. the, that was a silver lining of the pandemic. It definitely sped up the process. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you have a choice anymore. Um, and I think there, there, there's, there's only a handful of big firms that I think are, are really resistant. Um, and just how do you get through the process of getting your, your last partners on board, your last clients on board, and get the bandwidth to, to migrate everything to cloud. But I don't think it's a matter of if it's, it, it really is when. Yeah, it's just a, it's a long transition for large, large firms, but there's such a huge gain when you move to cloud-based systems that are API-based and you have the ability to start uh, stitching these pieces together, creating, you know, you can create that user experience that spans multiple systems. The end result of where you can get to is, is such a, a, a better user experience. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and in the end, as you've made, as you've done a great job making the point, uh, without adoption, none, none of this really matters. Yeah. No, there is no transformation at all if you've brought in technology and it's not being used. Yeah, we, I mean, everybody likes to talk about digital transformation a ton, uh, but what we really need to do is transform the adoption so that that transformation really does actually occur. That's exactly right. Well, this has been a, a, a really uh, fun conversation. I appreciate you joining me. We, we, got, we went a little long today, but that's because it was uh, a great conversation. Thanks. Great, so thank you.